Good evening, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Church, our midweek service. Um, before we start, this is the time we, we give, so if the ushers would kindly prepare for the tithes and offerings. Um, I'd like to issue you guys a challenge for next week, Wednesday, okay? If you guys would invite just one person to come to church on a Wednesday night. You, you guys are all here because, number one, God had willed it that you would come here. And one day, you know, in the past, you received the Lord. And also because you were extended in invitation to come to church. So next week, invite somebody to Wednesday night. Bribe them if you gotta. Tell them, Pastor Tom, go and pay for their dinner. They go come. <laughs> anyway, um, as you read through the Bible, you will see that... Many of the great people of the Bible, before a great move of God or a miracle occurred, there was always an act of radical faith, an act of radical faith. You look at Noah, okay? He built, he built an ark, a huge ark, when nobody even knew what rain was. You look at David, 13, 14 years old, standing up against a nine-foot giant. And in John chapter 21, it talks about how uh, Peter and some of his disciples cast a net for fish when it just didn't make sense. So what happened was, in this in this chapter, Jesus he was already he already died and he already resurrected. But this is a time where he was just you know he was appearing here and there to believers all over the area, and it happened that. Peter and his disciple friends were back at Galilee. They didn't know what to do, so they said, well, I'm just going to go fishing. So they went fishing. Now, Jesus was on the shore, and he called out to them, and he said, hey, you guys caught fish. And Peter said, no, we fished all night. We never catch nothing, okay? So Jesus says, well, cast your nets out on the right side of the boat. Now, you think about it, okay? Peter was a professional fisherman his whole life. This made no sense logically to a fisherman to, to cast their nets out in the middle of the morning and when nighttime was when you're supposed to catch the fish, but he did anyway. And what he did was he pulled up a catch of 153 fish, so much so that the, the, the nets were already bursting at the seams. So that's what happens when radical fate happens. Two years ago, okay, I wasn't working yet, so I figured I might as well go fishing. So I used to go fishing every day. And um, my good friend, uh, they, they liked the, the white crabs, so I would throw these cast nets, these round crab nets. It's about 8, 10 inches round net. You throw them out, you let them sink, you tie the bait down, you let it soak for like five minutes, and you reel it up. So that day, I, I, I caught about maybe two or three crabs, and on my last retrieval, the thing was super, super heavy. I was thinking, okay, either I get like five crabs, small crabs, or one big Samoan crab, or I would snag some grass or, or, or log or something. But as I was retrieving them up, sure enough, had one crab, but also I caught this. That's on moi, that. That's on moi, okay? And for those of you who don't know, that is the best eating fish in all of Hawaii. So, what was amazing and astounding to me, I never heard of anybody catching on more, you know, on a crab net. That's, that's insane. That's radical. But yet I did. But the most interesting and most astounding thing about this story 
It's not that I wouldn't catch the moi in the net. was during that week, I was reading John chapter 21, and he was telling me, you know, Jonathan, you got to start exercising your faith in a more radical way. And he did this to confirm it. So tonight, as we give, tonight, as wherever you guys are at in your situations in life, okay, you stand up against that David. I mean, you stand up as David against that Goliath, and you fight those fears and addictions. You build that arc of your, of your relationship with Jesus every day, every morning. And in the area of tithes and offerings, you cast your net out, and you just wait and see how good God is and how he's going to bless your socks off. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you, Lord, that this, this offering belongs to you, that you will multiply it exceedingly and abundantly above anything we could ask or think of, Lord God. So we pray in Jesus' name, many people would come to you, Lord God, in the next coming weeks, next Wednesday, this Sunday, Lord God. Bless this message. Bless the word. Open up our hearts. Let it, let it just interface with our spirit this, this evening, Lord God, and change us from the inside out. We thank you in the marvelous, majestic name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. I've never tasted a moist. I don't know if it's the best tasting fish. That's a joke. It's a, it's a hint. That's just a hint. Yeah. <laughs> Can we thank Jonathan, guys? <laughs> Well, we're going to um, continue in our series about prayer tonight, and it's really funny because my daughter has been taking me um, through this journey because as she grows in her faith, she feels that whatever question she has, she should ask me. So for the past month, we've actually been wrestling about prayer. It's not that she doesn't believe in prayer. She does. Um, she just had some questions about it. And so we've been on this journey. So when Pastor Sheldon asked me to speak, and I saw the title, I showed it to my daughter, and I said, I hate you. No, I didn't say that. I just said, look at what I got. So, you know, God does work in very miraculous and mysterious ways. And so tonight we're going to actually talk about how effective is prayer. Now, <clears throat> this past November, I was sitting at home, and I got a message on my text. And I looked at it, and there was a message from my oldest granddaughter, and it said, Grandma, if you're going to get me a gift for Christmas could you get me this? And then she sent me a link to a turntable that she wanted. I said, okay, that's a good idea. So I kept that and filed it away. And then, you know, because grandkids talk amongst themselves, cousins and all that. Two days later, I get a text from my grandson, Micah. And he just says, Grandma, when you get me a gift, can you get me this jacket? And he sent me a link to the jacket that he wanted. Now, do you think I was offended that they did that? Actually, one, I thought it was brilliant. Two, it made shopping so much easier. I went to the other grandkids and said, look, this is what your, co your cousins or sisters or whatever the relation is did. It's a great idea. You should do it. Now, how did they have the confidence to even think that up, that they could go ahead and just text and ask for something? Well, one is they're confident in our relationship. They know that I love them. They know that... It's Christmas, and yes, they are going to get a gift. The second thing is they're close enough to us in our relationship to know that they're free to ask. And they also know that the person you text is grandma, not grandpa, because grandpa doesn't text. And this is a perfect picture of our relationship with God. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him confidently, 
boldly and with expectation. King David wrote, The Lord is near, all, near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And he hears their cry and saves them. Jesus would later tell his disciples, Do not be afraid, little pluck, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. See, God wants us to come to him in prayer. He listens for them, and he wants to answer them. So tonight, we're going to look at how effective is prayer. So if you've brought your Bibles, you can open them up. If you've got your apps, you can open them up. Um, and as you do that, I actually want to read to you an excerpt from this book that I've just finished reading, and it's David Platt, and it's Something Needs to Change. And he actually went on a missions trip to the Himalayas with a friend of his, and they were hiking up in there, and on the way there, the friend is explaining how hard it is to bring the gospel into the Himalayas because the people just are clo they're close to it. And he's saying to them, you know, you're going to see things that you've not seen before. You're going to experience things that you've not experienced before. And I want you to be prepared. And so David's going into this, and he's thinking, I'm a pastor. He's prepared. He's ready. And so they hike into this town, and the first town they get into, as they're walking in, a man walks up to them, and he approaches them, and they can see that there's something wrong with his face, but he won't really look at them. He's looking down. And so they're watching, and finally they notice that his eye has fallen out. And so they continue the conversation, and finally they say to him, you mind, do you mind if we ask you what happened to your eye? And he says, well, you know, about a month ago it started itching. And then the itch got worse and worse. And then my eye fell out. But now I'm losing my hearing, and they could see that his cheek was caving in. And what it is, he has this infection, and because of where they live and because there's no medical help, um, if he doesn't take care of that, he could die. And so in the midst of this, um, he writes, Aaron was the guy that he was with. He says, Aaron shifts the conversation in a more spiritual direction. And he asks, have you ever heard of Jesus? And Kamal, that's the guy who lost his eye, looks back confused. No. Who's that? I've never heard that name. And it's like Kamal is being asked about a man he's never met who lives in a nearby village. And then Aaron begins to tell the story of Jesus, but Kamal seems confused about the relevance of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. And when Aaron finishes, Kamal just looks down and quietly says, I need help for my eye. May I pray for you? Aaron asked Kamal. Now Aaron has been part of starting a clinic further down the mountain, and he tells Kamal he will, get, he will work to get him help. And so he says, can I pray for you? And though still obviously confused, Kamal answers, yes. And standing up to our knees in the snow, shivering from the cold, we gather around Kamal and pray for God to help him in the name of Jesus. But even our prayers feel empty, at least to me. I know it shouldn't because I know prayer matters. What could be more valuable than talking to God on Kamal's behalf? But that's just it. Even as we say amen, I can't escape a lack of faith in my heart that the words we just said aren't going to make much of a difference. Praying sure felt like the right thing to do, but as we prayed, I wasn't really praying with actual faith that God would miraculously heal Kamal on the spot. And honestly, I'm not sure I had that much faith that things were ever going to change for Kamal. It's a pretty empty feeling to pray for someone when deep down inside, you're not actually believing it's going to matter. 
Surely that's not the way prayer is supposed to work. I teach all the time that this isn't the way prayer works. So why do I have these doubts in the hiddenness of my own mind and heart? And discouraged at this moment by my empty feeling faith, I'm encouraged by a totally different picture I see in Aaron. As we walk away, he tells us more about the clinic they have further up the trail. There, Aaron says, Kamal will have the opportunity to get medical help while also hearing more about Jesus. In other words, I see in Aaron a picture of someone who believes what he just prayed, that we just spoke to the one true God who has the power in all the universe to help Kamal. Aaron believes this so much that he is at God's disposal to be the means by which his prayers are answered. And then David writes, I want to pray in faith just like that, not just talk about praying that way. And you know what? The same is true of me. And I'm pretty sure it's true of you also. So how do we do that? How do we pray with bold, confident faith? So confident that we're sure that whatever God's going to do, that we'll be part of it. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So every person can pray bold, effective prayers if we'll address four areas in our lives. And if you're taking notes, the first one is worship. See, worship helps us to become bold prayers because worship reminds us of who God is. Dallas Theological Seminary professor Ronald Allen said, when we worship God, we celebrate him. We extol him. We sound his praises. We boast in him. Through worship, we value and treasure God above all things. It's our response to God for who he is and what he has done. It can be done personally at home. It can be done in our cars. It can be done out in nature. It can be done anywhere that we choose. We can also worship together as a church body anytime we gather together. Our worship is expressed in and by the things that we say and the way we live. And worship definitely includes singing and dancing, but it also includes praying, reading God's word with an open heart, and serving others. But here's what we need to know about worship. Worship isn't something we do. It's an attitude of our hearts. And according to Max Lucado, whenever we worship, we magnify God and we enlarge our vision of him. Worship draws us close to God. And the closer that we get to God, the bigger he gets. And the bigger God gets, the smaller our problems, our fears, our worries, and our questions get. There's something about worship that brings things back into perspective and reminds us that we're not in control. Someone has a bigger picture than we do, and he has a better plan. And that someone is God. Now, God spoke to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and he said to him, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts 
higher than your thoughts. Now, I believe this concept shaped King David's life. And that's why I think he's often referred to as a man after God's own heart. Because over and over in the book of Psalms, David would write things like this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Or he'd write, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. See, King David, he understood and he surrendered to the truth that even though David may have been a king over nations or a nation, there was someone bigger and more important who was king over him. And that truth needs to shape our lives. It needs to form our heart and our attitude any time we approach God in prayer. See, worship brings us to a place of surrendering control that we foolishly think that we have in any situation. Now, I'm not sure which one of my grandkids started this. But in the course of time, I'll get a text or I'll get a phone call, and it's a grandchild, and I'll say something like this, Grandma, can you tell my mom that? And then they'll tell me their problem. Or, my mom's irritating. Could you tell her? And then I'll usually listen, and I'll say, okay, I understand. But you do know that mom's the boss, right? She's your mom. She's the boss of you. And then their retort will be, yeah, but you're her mom, so could you please tell her? <laughs> now, these are teenagers doing this, by the way. We know it doesn't work that way. But I think there's a lesson for us here. See, my grandkids cannot control the situation, so they're turning to someone who they hope can. And I think they're onto something that we need to catch. See, my grandkids know that they have no way of controlling the situation that they're in. And because of their relationship with me, they know without a doubt that I've got their backs, that I'm for them. And they understand their relationship they, they understand their place in their relationship with their mothers. So they apply that principle to control their moms. And they appeal to someone that they hope is bigger and more authoritative than their mom. And that's exactly how worship should influence our prayers. We need to recognize and admit we have no way of controlling our circumstances. And because of our relationship with Jesus, we need to know without a doubt, God's got our back. He's for us. And then we surrender to our place in our relationship with God, and then we appeal to him because he's bigger and he's more powerful than we are. See, worship needs to draw us so near to God that our problems pale in comparison. Now, any of us who's on any social media will sometimes see a meme that says, don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. And that may be a bit cliche-ish, but there's a lot of truth to it. See, worship brings us to a place where we recognize how mighty, how magnificent, how powerful, how present 
our God is. And then when we understand that, then we see our problems in comparison to who God is and his much bigger purposes for us, then our problems become very temporary and powerless in our lives. And when we realize that our problems and situations cannot stop the will of God, then we're positioned to confidently seek his intervention. And that's the second thing you can put in. Ask. Bible study teacher and author Priscilla Shire says, prayer is simply an outpouring of your heart to God and then making room in your life to hear back from him in his word and as he orchestrates your circumstances. God wants to have a conversation with you. He longs to hear what is really on your heart. He wants openness and honesty. See, there's no reason that we can't bring our issues to God. He desires for us to come to him and ask. Jesus told his followers, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. We are to be bold in our faith, and we are to be confident in our requests. In a letter to the believers, um, the Apostle James would repeat Jesus' command. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. He's saying, look, you have these wants and you have these desires. You're trying to control the situation. You're trying to control everything by doing things that are not good. You're killing people, you're quarreling, and you're fighting. You're not giving up control. You're not surrendering. You're forgetting who's in control. You're not asking, so you're not getting. Now, we don't have to be the ones who figures out how to handle our fears, our doubts, our needs, or our concerns. So are there areas in your life where you're still trying to control and manipulate the outcome? Because you don't have to do that. You can stop right now and you can ask the Father because he wants to help us. Now, James does add a caution to his statement. He says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you want, may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, we cannot ask with wrong, selfish, or damaging motives. This past Sunday, we had my granddaughter's um, birthday party at my house. She wanted lasagna, and so I made it. And while we were there, the families gathered around there playing and all that. And then one of my grandsons, who has a birthday coming up, now with 10 grandkids, there's always a birthday coming up, but he has a birthday coming up, and everybody was there, so he brightly figured this would be the best time to say, hey, for my birthday, do you guys mind giving me cash so I can get a laptop? So we're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. We, we can think about that. There's a big family. You could probably pull that off. And then my son said, well, what do you want a computer for? 
It's because we're thinking, you know, he wants to get into graphics. He wants to get into photography, anything like that. But no. He says, well, somebody taught me how to boot someone. I said, boot someone? What's that? So technically, this is what you do. You get their IP address. So that already sounds wrong. And then you, do, you, you bomb their address so they get booted off the Internet. But then you do so much damage, they can't get back on. So I looked at him, I said, no, not happening. I said, I'm not giving you cash for that. You're probably going to get socks. You're not getting money. And everybody <laughs> said the same thing. You're not getting money. First off, it's a very bad idea. Second off, it's probably illegal. Third, to make sure that you don't do something stupid, you're not getting cash from any of us. Now, do you think we don't love my grandson? We love him. But we're pretty sure that what he thought would be a fun thing to do is actually a very bad idea. And so the answer is a very emphatic no. Not happening. And that's the idea behind James' admonition. If we ask with wrong motives, the answer is going to be no. That's why worship is so crucial to effective prayer. Worship reminds us that God has a bigger and better plans for our lives than we do. It reminds us that God is greater than we are and can be trusted. It keeps us in alignment with his will and his purpose. Worship aligns our heart to God's heart and plans. And when we bring him our requests, our concerns, and our needs, we can be confident that we're asking according to his will. The Apostle John says, Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. See, there is a confidence to our prayers when our prayers are asked in alignment with the heart of God and with right motives. Our confidence is definitely in not who we, is not in who we are. It's not even in how we asked. Our confidence is in the one who is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. We trust the one whose plans are bigger and better than ours. And we ask knowing that as we surrender our plans and purposes for his, he will move on our behalf. Peter encourages us, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. See, it's in the surrender to God's way that we trust in his timing, that he will lift us up and give us confidence that he hears us. And when we're confident that God hears us, we move forward in the next area. And you can write that in. That's thanksgiving. Now, I'm not talking about a thankfulness that says, because I asked, God is going to. Because that makes God nothing more than a vending machine, dispensing my every woman desire. But God's bigger than that. He's not a vending machine, and he's not Santa Claus. He's God. He's the ruler over all things. He's the beginning, and he's the end. He determines my future, and he determines when and how he responds to my prayers. So we're not thankful for what we think we can get from God. It's thankfulness for who he is. 
that we can trust him to give us what we need at just the right time. So we're thankful because he's the God of the universe, the one who created us. He's the one who has a plan and a purpose for us, and he hears us. David wrote in the book of Psalms, and I like to think of Psalms as David's prayer journal. He wrote, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Now think about that. Isn't it awesome to know that God is always thinking about us? That he longs to hear from us. David continues in his journal. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Every morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. See, we're grateful because God wants to hear from us. He listens for our voice. Peter said, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. You know, a couple of Sundays ago, I got to FaceTime with an aunt, uncle, and a cousin that I haven't talked to in years. We'd lo- you know, some things had happened in the family, and we lost contact. And then we reconnected on Facebook, and then my uncle thought, hey, let's FaceTime, let's um, talk to each other, let me meet your family, and all that. So we're talking, and then in the conversation, I said to my cousin, and I think she's like eight years younger than I am, and I had said to her, You know, my relationship with grandma was different than everyone else's because we lived so far away from them. So I only saw them every few years. And then my cousin said, yeah, I know. And then I said, but I did try to keep in touch. You know, I'd I'd call her. I wrote to her every week. I'd call her every week. And she says, yeah, you know that when I would go visit her, she would always say, Marcia called. Or she'd read to me from one of your letters. And that just blessed me. And I thought about my grandmother, and I thought about how she just longed to hear, not just from me, but from all her grandkids. She waited, and then when she heard from us, she was so thrilled that she shared what she heard from us. Now imagine this. If my grandmother felt so much joy whenever her grandkids visited, called, or wrote to her, that she looked forward to those visits and calls, imagine the Father of Heaven in a much bigger deeper way, waiting and looking forward to our prayers, wanting to hear our voice. I love the way one, um, Psalm 116.2 um, says in the New um, Living that he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath because he bends down. Whenever my younger, smaller grandkids come to me, and they want to talk, the first thing that I do is I get down on my knees and I'll look them in the eye. And I want to add value to them and I want to hear what they're saying. And that picture is exactly how God is with us. He bends down to listen to our prayers because he values us. And then finally, for prayer to be effective, we cannot be timid in our approach. We need to recognize that because prayer is an acknowledgement of the greatness and the power of God, because we're seeking his grace, his mercy, his healing, and his power on our behalf, that we're moving into warfare. And I want you to put that in number four. We're moving into spiritual warfare. Now, make no mistake, because we follow Jesus, we're already in a spiritual battle. Any time that we seek to live for God or honor him, the enemy takes notice. And the enemy will do anything he can 
to leave us discouraged, doubting, fearful, and defeated. And whenever you pray, just by the fact that you are acknowledging that we need God, the enemy takes notice. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There are two distinct differences in what Jesus wants to accomplish in our lives and what the enemy wants to accomplish. And each time we bring ourselves into alignment with who God is and who we are in him and with his plans and his purposes, we are advancing the kingdom of God. Every time we pray, we're advancing the kingdom of God. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we're inviting God to come and establish his kingdom in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our nation. To quote Priscilla Shire again, she says, prayer is how we see heaven invade earth. I love that. It's what opens the floodgates, it's what opens up the floodgates for God to come down and be involved in our everyday circumstances. I love that. When we pray, it opens up the floodgates of heaven. I'm motivated and I'm inspired to know that every time I pray, heaven invades earth on my behalf. And whether you're praying for your marriage or your relationships, whether you're praying for insight, whether you're praying for finances or for your children or grandchildren, whether you're praying for healing, whether you're praying to break a habit or addiction, or you're praying for a job, anytime you pray, you are inviting God to be involved in our everyday circumstances. And we are establishing God's kingdom here on earth. We're taking background and preventing the enemy from taking any ground every time we pray. We align ourselves with the purposes and plans of our Father in heaven. And we're not just declaring your kingdom come, we're living it. Now when we began, I read from the book by David Platt, and I, I said he talked about the way his friend prayed. And he said, I want to pray in faith like that, not just talk about it. And that's exactly how I want to end tonight. I don't want to just talk about prayer. I don't want to talk about its effectiveness. I want to do it. So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And they're going to lead us in a worship song. And in that worship song, what I want you to do is draw near to God. Let him get larger and larger in our view so that our problems become smaller. And then, when we're done singing, I'm going to ask you to, you can pray by yourself, gather a group of two, no more than three, and we're going to do warfare. And those of you who are at home watching online, I want you to do the warfare there. So what we're going to do is the worship team is going to come, they're going to lead us in prayer, in a worship song. And then as soon as they're done, we're going to pray. We're going to do warfare. And I say warfare because anytime we pray, 
We're advancing God's kingdom here on earth, and that's what I want to do tonight. I want to advance God's kingdom. We don't have to scream. We don't have to yell. We don't have to demand. We don't have to command. We simply need to acknowledge the greatness and power of our Father in heaven to bring our request to Him and fully trust that He wants to listen to our voices and He wants to respond. To respond. So we'll pray for five minutes and then we'll come up and close. And just before they start, I want to read this to you. James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And sitting in this room today are people who are called by the name of the Lord God. Jesus said that His name, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. He said when His name is lifted up, that all men would be drawn unto Him. And it's in His name that we are going to join our worship team. We're going to raise a hallelujah. And as soon as they're done, we're going to pray. So let's stand and let's join our worship team and let's raise a hallelujah. Fear your love. 
this time would you go ahead you can go find someone to pray with but as Pastor Marshall said take this time to just be with the Lord pray for one another
Lord, we're grateful, and we thank you. We thank you for the warfare that happened in this room tonight, Lord God, and we know that you're going to move on our behalf. And you're not moving because we ask. You're moving, you're moving because you're good, and you're a God. And you know the plans and the purposes that you have for each and every person that is sitting in this room. And Lord, I believe that it's not an accident that any one of us came here tonight, but that you had a purpose, that you wanted to establish your kingdom in our hearts and in our lives. And as we came here tonight and as we prayed and we lifted up our concerns to you, Lord God, but as we did that warfare, that you sent your armies out on our behalf. But Lord, I pray that this would not be something that we do just tonight. May we take it from here. And every single day, every single moment in our cars, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the shopping centers, Lord God, wherever we are, would we call down heaven on the behalf of those around us, of our families, and those that we care for. We love you, Lord God. We lift you up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.